a good salesperson will come in there and read you like a book. And if you're talking about, we're worried about the number of seats and you're not talking about support, well, guess what? I'm not going to talk about support either. I'm going to talk about the seats and that pricing. So a good salesperson will really read the person, read the contract and know how to win the deal because that's what they get incentivized on. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. To understand the total cost of ownership of software, one of the critical pieces that you need to understand would be the software licensing, software license, and pricing. There are several nuances of the licensing model with several variables that could impact your total costs. The licensing and pricing nuances could be as simple as whether you are buying a single user or multi-user license, or it could be as complex as whether you would be paying for your license if the user leaves the company. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise in selling and procuring software packages to discuss software licensing and pricing. We also discussed several variables that executives need to review to understand their implications and how that would impact the total price. Finally, we discussed the difference between named versus concurrent licenses and the nuances of consumption-based pricing. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. Today we are going to be discussing the software pricing. There are a lot of nuances overall when we look at the software pricing. We are going to be discussing all of that. If you're joining for the first time, this is our WBS Rocks Digital Transformation Series. Every week we bring one topic that we discuss all the time. And then we bring one panel of experts that is going to have expertise around this specific topic. So today also we have very exciting panel and we are going to start with their introduction. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself if you don't mind? Sure, thanks Sam. Glad to be here today. Chris Giardini, uh, president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We're a 27-year Microsoft Dynamics uh, partner. So we implement ERP and software uh, all the time. So glad to be here. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, uh, for the introduction. And obviously, you have tons and tons of background signing multiple deals uh, and competing with a lot of different players. So your experience is going to be so relevant for this panel. Now, the next, I'm actually going to move to Andy. Andy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, Sam. Uh, my name is Andy Pratico. I'm with a company called uh, Essential Services and Essential Software. We are an ERP reseller of Infor software uh, located in Vancouver, Canada. A happy Canada Day. And uh, I live in Vancouver as well and um, work all over across Canada and the Pacific Northwest, specifically for manufacturers. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Andy. And obviously, you have similar background as Chris, and you are going to have similar experience in competing with a lot of different uh, competitors. So your experience is going to be very relevant for today's show in discussing the software pricing. Tom, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Sam. Hello, guys. My name is Tom Rodden. I am with Varian Medical Systems, CIO for the last four years, and uh, very excited to be here with you. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. And you have experience as a user in going through a lot of different pricing contracts. So your experience is going to be super relevant for today's show. Vijay, uh, would you like to introduce yourself if you don't mind? Thanks, I'm uh, Vijay Kavaripakam. I'm CEO of uh, Raindrop, which is an enterprise spend management uh, platform. Uh, we also will provide not just the platform, but the services around it. Uh, glad to see uh, Cham Broden, who's one of our uh, uh, customers uh, and uh, we negotiate uh, 
all the software, including uh, ERP, uh, to with with vendors. Uh, so uh, happy happy to be here. Okay, amazing. And uh, by the way, thanks for joining for the first time. We invited you to this panel just because of your expertise that was recommended by Tom. Obviously, you have tons and tons of experience negotiating with a lot of different software vendors as well as uh, as well as overall IT vendors. So your experience is going to be super relevant for today's panel. Thank you so much for joining. Tim, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, Tim Harrison with Warm Commerce. I'm the VP of Sales, and I've got experience on selling um, software uh, packages and industrial and uh, warehousing retail applications, as well as uh, starting up a business and bringing software in-house to help manage the growth of the business. Okay, amazing. And thank you so much for being here, Tim. Obviously, your background is going to be super relevant, especially your experience from the warehouse perspective. And there are going to be a lot of nuances in the pricing models and how the software from the warehouse is going to be integrating overall uh, from the ERP perspective. I think those insights are going to be super relevant. So thank you so much for being here. So we are going to start today's topic in discussing different pricing models that exist in the marketplace. So let's say if any executives are trying to sign a software deal, what are different licensing models that they are going to experience in the market? And I am going to start with you, Chris, if you don't mind. Tell us what are different pricing models exist. Obviously, you know, you are going to have slightly more words uh, with the Microsoft ecosystem, but we would like to hear your insight sure. uh, for the other licensing models as well. Sure. And I think the, the you know, start with the traditional model was Cal licensing was client access licensing. And that was most known for on-premise application software, where basically you, you acquired the license in full and then you paid a software assurance to keep the license updated, intact, so forth. That license has evolved to now subscription-based models. So a variety of different ones. It may still be an on-premise license, but the vendor has chosen now to charge you monthly forever instead of, again, the initial price in a software assurance model. Now you just pay a per month fee forever, whether it's in the cloud or not. So again, we go from Cal licensing to subscription. In the Microsoft world, you can consume licenses a few different ways. Certainly end users can buy direct through Microsoft. They can go through partners like myself where we're a cloud service provider. So we are a tier one where we transact direct. So we're a distributor. So you can buy through a distributor. And the other mechanisms that the very, very large corporations is they write agreements directly with Microsoft through large account resellers. So those are were historically known as enterprise agreements or volume agreements. So a few different ways. And, and normally, depending on organizational size, you know, you're going to you're going to rationalize which one am I big enough to deal direct with Microsoft these days? They want 500 plus seats to get direct. But um, but again, a variety of choices. But the, the, the tendency now is to subscription based model, whether you're cloud or on prem where you're just paying per month forever. So anyway, start there. Yeah. So some great insights, to be honest, uh, especially uh, when we move from the on-prem to to your uh, subscription-based model. And there are going to be some nuances overall. So in case of on-prem, you were paying a lot of upfront. And then right now, as you correctly pointed out, that it's going to be really the monthly subscription model. But what I'm looking for, honestly speaking, in this conversation, especially if we look at the executives, right? So they need to make a lot of different decisions, and those decisions are going to be based on their business model. Now, when we look at the business model, depending upon how the pricing is structured, it could be based on per user, it could be consumption-based. There are so many variables that typically are going to be a factor in determining whether pricing is going to be friendly for your business model or not. So I am really looking for those variables when executives are going to compare different pricing models, which are going to be really friendly for their industry, for their micro industry, as well as for their business model. So I am actually going to start with you now, Tom. Would you like to touch on different pricing nuances that you have seen in your experience working with different vendors and where you believe that the pricing could be slightly friendlier for specific business models or the industries? A couple of thoughts were going through my mind. And as Vijay mentioned, his company, Infor 500, has been doing software as well as hardware and services negotiations on behalf of IT at Varian for many years. And and he has many other customers besides Varian. So, uh, you know, you can speak to other examples outside of my experience, VJ. But one of the things that we've talked about a number of times is the idea of focusing on the total deal. Going into any negotiation, whether it's software related or something else, of course, uh, one of the great recommendations is always to have your strategy well thought through, what's your what's your walk away price, et cetera, et cetera. All these 
classic negotiating tactics. But with relation to software in particular, one of the things that we've talked about is have a concept that is total package. So don't get fixated. A lot of people will actually say, I, I need to hit this price on you know this line item or you know it just won't fly for me you know get me a better price on these line items and if support can be thrown in at lower cost or no cost if other services that might be really of value to you that you might end up going and procuring from someone else and perhaps they could come from this particular vendor you're in negotiation with i mean there could be additional value added items or cost savings that would get you to a total package that is actually quite attractive and would satisfy you from a budgetary point of view or exceed your expectations. But again, sometimes people get very fixated on a specific line item. So to me, that's one of the, the, the learnings and the lessons from, from DJ and his team to us. I'd say a second thing is what, what we found is that in our company, both the IT guys and gals, as well as the business people tend to think they're great negotiators and they can do as good a deal as anybody else and they don't need help. And frankly, it's yep. just going to slow us down, be overhead, um, et cetera. And what, what we found over time was A, that we're not as good as the professionals and B, our time would be better spent even if we are pretty, pretty close to as good on a specific deal, you know, with our knowledge of a specific technology and with our relationship with the vendor we would be better off doing other work than focusing all of our time on that. So, and again, I don't mean to do an advertisement for VJ or anybody. I, I'm just saying that bringing in specialists to negotiate software contracts, I think is extremely helpful. I think looking at it as a total package and letting the vendor actually try and think what they could do more, what else they could do if they can't move on this line item, give them some room to maneuver, you know, let them help them to help you. Again, it may not be relevant to most people, but my company, Varian Medical Systems, was actually a pretty aggressive software early adopter. And uh, whether that had to do with Salesforce and some of its functionality, or it had to do with SAP, or it had to do with smaller packages, we tended to adopt relatively early and try and leverage that in our negotiations and, and make our, ourselves referenceable. And that, that was also often very helpful. So those are a couple of thoughts I have, Sam. Okay, amazing. And I am actually going to touch on all of those uh, thoughts, Tom, and I may have some clarifying questions. Uh, moving to the, the the thoughts that you shared, Tom, so you are absolutely right. And I have seen this in my personal experience as well, that sometimes when uh, companies are going to be narrowly focused on one specific line item, you might ignore the other charges that you are going to get in the future. Uh, in case of pricing, you require really deep understanding of how the software components are going to be talking to each other, how they are going to be integrating with each other. And if you don't understand those nuances overall from the number of transactions, it could be the pricing related to a specific module. If you don't understand all of those, then there is a term called total charges that Brian Somer uses. If you are not familiar with Brian Somer, he does a lot of work in the contracting space he appears as an expert witness in a lot of different erp disputes so he uses the term called toll charges and those toll charges could be significantly expensive for companies if they don't understand what they are getting into in terms of the contract and when he mentioned that the internal team doing the negotiation i think that's a valid point just because they are not going to have the subject matter expertise in evaluating the software contract for a lot of different components uh, or the moving parts that an enterprise architecture might have. So yes, bring that subject matter expert who understand how different software components work and how the pricing is going to be related of each of those components. So thank you so much for that. I'm actually going to move to VJ next. I'm pretty sure VJ is going to have tons and tons of stories how the, the nuances of pricing works when you look at different business models. So, Vijay, do you want to share your thoughts? I want to uh, capture all good points uh, from Tom and everybody. Uh, the fundamental thing that we ask our uh, our customers is uh, is around like uh, what you're trying to solve and what uh, success definition means to you. Uh, just to give a rule of uh, thumb, uh, if you buy like uh, spend a dollar on your licensing, uh, you're going to spend uh, 3x dollars uh, on implementation and uh, utilities. So, so uh, people forget that. Uh, 
So uh, we don't want to be like MyoScaper in terms of, uh, hey, let's negotiate uh, the cost per seat uh, or like the pr- price per month on a user. But this variable cost adds up pretty heavily. And uh, if you take that fundamentally three different licensing options coming to not just ERP, any software these days, uh, it's either perpetual or it's going to be a virtual SaaS-based model, or it's going to be a hybrid of a perpetual and a SaaS. And where we see the how uh, the models are being distributed is across what we call as like uh, uh, three-tier customers. Uh, tier one is anybody's uh, having a revenue of like uh, $10 million and 10 to 50 and 50 to uh, anything above that. Uh, the early adopters are people who know that they want an interim solution all adopt to a SaaS-based model uh, in the tier uh, three to three. Tier one is all the high billion dollar companies, which always goes for an, uh, an in-house system. Now, uh, when you have, uh, when you get to the big uh, uh, giant uh, 800 pound gorilla systems uh, in, in your house, uh, you got to be really worried about your data feeds, your utilities, your uh, security around it. Uh, now, what adds to the complexity is all around uh, the uh, governance and uh, new laws that's getting uh, distributed. If you're a global company, uh, you need to be worried about like how my data processing is going to be done across Europe, Australia, APAC. Uh, with language support and data retention and all that stuff, which doesn't get captured in your monthly cost per user SaaS model at all. So when you think about it, you will be like spending probably say a million dollars in your license, but you'll be actually spending $10 million or above with a much more complex global footprint. So things that you need to take care of. So we always ask our customers to like define those success, define what they're trying to solve. Don't get a, a, a hold up in, in, in understanding how pricing works. Pricing is the last thing that you want because you want to like pick a vendor who can support you with the, with the compliance risk and other needs as well. Also, something to think about is uh, is the add-ons that gets added on. Uh, you know, I'm sure Tim will have a lot more to like talk about it. Uh, there are hidden pitfalls that uh, uh, it's not transparent uh, to an uh, ERP buyer. Uh, do I get access to in a full-fledged production system, uh, you know, QA system, sandboxes? Is this sandbox is a percentage of my annualized revenue? Things like that. Uh, and also, there's the other kind of line to it, like uh, what does the uh, software vendor, ERP software vendor is going to provide to make my life easier or to make the implementation successful. And post implementation, what kind of support do I get? It's not just break fix anymore. It's going to be more customer success, like industry knowledge sharing and things like that to enable. And also the change management cost of it. So we kind to address all those questions and then finally get into the pricing aspect. That's when we lay out a complete picture. We can take a top-down approach and we say like, this is the value that our customers see with this ERP implementation. And for this price, uh, for this value, this is the cost they're willing to like uh, spend. And we work with the salespeople to make it happen. Okay, some very important points just to set a little bit of expectation overall from the room perspective, Vijay, since you are joining for the first time. What we typically do as part of these panels is we like to be slightly focused overall in terms of the topic. Okay, so for today, we are only worried about the software pricing. I know that software pricing is probably going to be last on your list but that is going to have implications on a lot of items that you described. So just be thinking about the overarching strategy, how your governance model is going to be, because all of your licensing model that you are signing up, I mean, see, the line items are not going to include your governance model, then obviously you have the implications. But for today, what we are really focusing on is the line items that anybody is going to see on the sales contract that they are either going to sign with their reseller or with the the software provider. So we are really worried about the line item and how your business model or the the way the pricing is structured is going to have implications for the total cost that you are going to pay as a business. So that's what we are discussing today. But you mentioned a couple of key points that the generalized points such as, you know, if your licensing cost is going to be X, then you are probably budgeting for 3X of that for the implementation. You also mentioned the three-tier customer pricing, uh, and typically that's how the majority of the vendors are going to structure the pricing. So you need to keep that in mind when you are talking to these software vendors. You also mentioned one point that the pricing of the add-ons have the implications on your the pricing of the software. So understanding how 
the pricing strategy of your add-on as well as your your software plus the integration glue you might have in between you need to understand all of those moving pieces or you might end up in some sort of toll charges there and then one really great point that you mentioned from the pricing perspective that is often ignored or not as well understood is going to be the pricing for the sandbox especially in the SaaS market right now if you look at it in the on-prem model we could do the development on our local boxes so we didn't have to worry about the pricing of the environment but right now if you look at a lot of different vendors that are there in the market some vendors they are going to include five tenants okay that is going to provide you the test environment that is going to provide you the staging environment that is going to provide you the, the live environment that you need but let's say you have the second vendor they might be least expensive if they don't include the tenant as part of their licensing model you might get a surprise bill of let's say 20000 50000 i don't know so these are the variables that we are looking for when we are looking at the pricing and the licensing nuances i am actually going to move to andy next andy you have seen a lot from the competitive landscape perspective and as well as the deals that you have participated in so can you tell us what are different variables that executives should be looking at and what are different pricing models overall you have seen when you explore these these software deals yeah certainly sam as i mentioned i work specifically with manufacturing companies usually small to mid-size so like 10 million to 500 million kind of size and uh commonly uh, manufacturers are no disrespect blue blue collar more more blue collar than white collar and it and technologies are not always forefront so when they're doing one of these evaluations and trying to understand you know which systems they should consider which ones are going to cost what one of the even though it should be the last comment as i as a few people have mentioned one of the first questions they'll say is how much is it going to cost and the point is is that the answer is always it depends because every type of user every type of deployment is priced differently and there are no two ERPs that count the users the same. So when you say, well, I want to get a price of 100 users from all five systems. Well, we're going to have to have a long talk about that because 100 users doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Uh, first off, from the old versions of software on premise, they used to have either named or concurrent. Yeah. Yeah. And concurrent means floating, means the number of people at the same time versus named means the seat. Okay. Plus, there's data collection devices, which are kiosks. Those will be usually unlimited type users, but they have to be uh, positioned in the company so that they're convenient. You don't have to walk too far. So you have a number of seats or, or kiosks for that regard. When we get into uh, SaaS or cloud-based, the newer type subscription type systems, they can also be named or concurrent. But they also, and I think it was VJ that mentioned add-on modules. Yeah. You don't know how. I mean, first off, the, an add-on module, quote-unquote, is usually something that wasn't created by the original developer. Therefore, there is some kind of integration involved. Therefore, the user count is going to be different than it is for the ERP and probably separate databases, but that's, that's a different topic. But the point is, is that saying I want 100 users just doesn't cut it. You have to break down each type of employee department, access, what everyone needs to be able to use, and then personalize that proposal for that specific client. Again, no two ERPs count users the same. Right. So some great points. And Andy, I think our listeners can benefit a little bit more if you could expand on named versus concurrent. I think that's going to be a key question that they are going to get when they are exploring or comparing two different sure. licensing models. So Absolutely. do you want to expand a little bit more on that? You know, sure. what is named? Uh, from the executive sure. perspective. Well, uh, one of the comments that Chris, he used an interesting uh, an acronym called CAL, Client Access License. Normally, yeah. I think about CALs as far as the database, like SQL Server or whatever else, but that was an interesting way to position in an ERP user count, for example. And I think I'm going to use that. I'm going to coin you, but I'll use the phrase, Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, named users means logins, people, individuals, stations you're it you, you bought 100 100 named users that means you're going to define those 100 people that have access to the system and the database 
and you uh, a one hundreds and ones person cannot access. They have, you have to buy additional users versus concurrent. They call it usually some most people call it floating users. It means the number of access points simultaneously. So you might have a thousand employees, but as long as not more than one hundred at the same time are uh, accessing the database, you're okay. And and many of the more advanced ERPs these days have timing logout scripts so that when you haven't been using your keyboard or whatever for a certain period of time, like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it automatically logs you out and gives another person access just in case you are hitting the wall and you need, uh, need to be able to share a little more often. I'm actually going to have some follow-up questions because these are the questions that we typically get from people yeah. who are actually, let's say, buying the software. So a couple of questions that they typically have is, let's say, if I buy the license for the named users, okay? Yes. So I may have my Bob, my Larry, my... Uh, oh, by, by the way, Sam, I, forgot, I forgot to mention, obviously, when you describe what a named user is versus a concurrent user, the concurrent user sounds more attractive. But commonly, the concurrent costs twice as much as the named users. Okay, just, just so you know that. That's a great point. In fact, I mean, in my experience, I think it's 2.5x. It could uh, be. <laughs> it depends on the product. Every package is different. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so the key question that executives are going to have in this scenario is going to be, let's say if I buy for named user for Bob and Lucy, yeah. okay, these yeah. are going to be named. Let's say this employee leaves the organization. What right. happens to their license? Okay, am I still going to be paying for Bob when Bob has actually left the organization? Or am I going to be replacing that? Let's say if I hire in place yeah. of Bob, I'm hiring Judy. Uh, yeah. Am I going to be replacing that license with her? I, the answer is it depends. It depends on which ERP you have. Okay. And depends which ones you purchased, which okay. types of users. By the way, uh, Chris also mentioned the consumption base. There's that's the other type of user cost, which means you could have unlimited users, but the price of the software is going to be dependent upon the transaction volume of your company. So startups think this is a wonderful thing. Yeah, it costs them barely nothing or or next to nothing. But as the company grows and more, the the statement that I've always heard, which I thought was kind of comical, is They'll always increase your price as your consumption increases. But if your consumption decreases, they ain't going to decrease the price. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. so. <laughs> so we are actually going to be discussing the consumption-based pricing okay. separately because there are a lot of moving parts when yeah, you can see consumption-based pricing. Absolutely. Number one, we need Absolutely. to define what Absolutely. real consumption is. So we are going to be discussing that. Before we get there, in terms of the concurrent license, let's say if I am having 100 users, that yep. are using these licenses concurrently. What happens if the 101st user is going to try to log in? What happens? They won't have access. They're uh, going to have to wait till one of those timers lets or logs one of the 100 out. So is the user going to get an error that you don't have a session or? Yeah. Something like an error. Not, not necessarily an error because everybody thinks an error is a terrible, terrible thing. But no, it's going to say that you've exceeded your user limit. Please try again or you know, some kind of a polite message. Okay, so now we agree that the concurrent is going to be probably 2.5x of your named user license. So let's say, yeah. Andy, if you are the consultant, you are advising a client in terms of the licensing strategy, you know, which is going to be the most cost-effective yeah. based on their business business model, right? So yeah. which are the situations where you would recommend concurrent versus named? Well, again, that depends on a lot of factors. For example, I've got one client who, who is opening a new facility yeah. in, uh, in China. So concurrent is beautiful because they can have those same users accessing the software while the folks in Canada are sleeping. You know, it's because, again, it's the number of people in at the same time versus it also depends on the size of the company, because the larger the company the more advantageous concurrent users can be. The smaller companies, say 20, 30, 40 type users, actually the number of users named versus concurrent are almost identical. So even though you're paying two to two and a half times more for the concurrent, you might also buy named because it's, you, instead of buying 40 users, you might have to buy 45. 
Yeah, so I am actually going to uh, going to touch on some of the nuances. So when you say that, you know, the pricing of concurrent is going to be 2.5x, there are certain assumptions in the licensing strategy that you are not going to have, let's say, 100 users utilizing the system at the same time, right? right. Their assumption is going to be maybe three users are going to be using in a shift, uh, and that's why they have price in, in, in uh, you know, 2.5 to 3x. That's the assumption that the company has. Let's say if you have too many concurrent users and they are trying to hammer the system at the same time, the system is going to be slow. So in my opinion, I think they have to keep Depending that. Depending upon the deployment method, yes, correct. Yeah, and one of the other things that I, I think Tom have, may have a very good insight. So let's say if you are in an industry where you require the individual accountability of the person who is logging into the system, for example, medical device, for example, in the construction where you have to have the individual login if you are looking for the timesheet approval based on that person. If you need to recognize that person, sometimes it might be difficult if you are using the concurrent licensing. So those could be situations where you might want to think about the the named user licensing as well. Okay, so we'll discuss the consumption-based licensing. Before we move there, I want to make sure that I am... One more question you asked me, I realized I didn't answer it, Sam, and that was what happens when an employee leaves? Uh, Because you've got, regardless of the type of user you purchased, when the employee leaves, you're still tying up one of those users. So depending upon the software, they're going to have different rules. And that's all part of the T's and C's and the fine print. Some systems will allow you to change those user formats or templates to be the new employee. Other softwares will say, nope, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're locked in. You're going to have to buy another user. So it completely depends on the, on the product that they're using. I'm actually going to move to Tim. Tim, uh, do you have any thoughts so far based on your experience selling software? What are different licensing strategies that you have seen and where some companies might end up paying a lot more than what they would expect? All right. I've got plenty of things. I've got a whole little sheet here of notes that I've been taking. So Perfect. to touch on uh, was Andy's comment here, when somebody leaves, one of the big things that everyone thinks of is, oh, when somebody leaves, we're going to you know, go through this process of this, what do we call it? Uh, basically turning off their access, do this, do that, and then we'll reassign it or maybe we'll go call our vendor. But what actually happens, somebody leaves, HR does their paperwork, IT maybe gets a message or an email that says, hey, this user doesn't exist anymore. So what happens is you end up with these licenses. And then when somebody new gets on board, they're like, oh, hey, we need a license you know, for this guy you know, or this gal. And so they call the vendor and they say, we need another license. So now they're just you know, upping their license count. And if somebody's not managing that and really keeping tabs on what licenses do we have, how many, who's using them, then it becomes just a big static directory that keeps building and building. So I thought that was pretty, uh, you know, that's for for people to realize, yeah, you know, it's great that you start off with a named or C type of licensing model versus concurrent, but, um, you know, the it, that's the downside. People don't really think about that in, in practice. And when it comes to the concurrent model, you know, you always need the number of concurrent users you need now plus one, because there's always that instance where somebody goes to that computer and they can't log in. And it's happened to me so many times in CAD systems, other you know, inventory control systems, ERP systems, you walk up to it, I can't get into it. Well, I need to get into it now. I don't have time to you know, call IT or call somebody to go purchase me another uh, license or to up our count. So to me, that's a major impact to not having the right number of users for the system that you're, you're using. And that turns into real money. So if I can't do my work because I don't have the access to the users, uh, what am I going to do? And then when, it, when you're talking about concurrent, it's really good that people on the technical level understand what mechanisms are in place. Is there a logout feature or does the system just sit there and stay stagnant? Because there are so many times where a computer, maybe you're, maybe it's nothing to do with the user, but the computer itself locks up or a record in the database the, the user you know, tables locks up or doesn't get deleted or moved appropriately. And now you have this ghost or phantom user in the system that's tying people out, locking people out. So knowing what to do there, I think that's really important. All right. So switching gears back to Tom. Tom, you mentioned you guys need to do, you need to let, you know, not worry about negotiating as much and let the, the pros do it. And I really, that's extremely important because a good salesperson will come in there and read you like a book. And you talk, if you're talking about, oh, you know, we're worried about the number of seats and you're not talking about support, well, guess what? I'm not going to talk about support either. I'm going to talk about the seats and that pricing. Um, 
So a good salesperson will really read the person, read the contract, um, and know how to win the deal because that's what they get incentivized on. They don't get incentivized on uh, making sure that you feel all warm and fuzzy and happy about it. They get incentivized on revenue and selling, you know, closing an order. So it's really important that um, you do bring in professionals that can provide input and um, and help you out there. So um, and then uh, go back to the more your original question there, Sam. The when it comes to the CFO, the true cost of all these contracts and these deals, it, they do come out in your PL. So if I'm looking at a new system or making changes, I don't want to look at my contract. I want to look at the PL and look at those charges from that vendor. And then you can really see where's the substance of that contract. I think a lot of people think, oh yeah, the contract says this. But in reality, you need to look at the checks you've written to that vendor because you know that's how people um, uh, basically upsell. You know, they'll send you an invoice for you know this little extra here, or maybe you went over you know a certain number of hours that you can provide. You know, they provide for support based on your contract. Um, so really, having that total cost is extremely important, and that comes out in the PL. I mean, that's just that's really it. That's the reality of the contract. Okay, thank you so much for that, Tim. And I'm actually <laughs> going to retouch on on all of that. But before that, we have a shout out from the from the guest. And Craig, thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions, please post them in the comments, and we would love to address them. So now, a couple of points. Number one, you know, you are really a fair sales guy uh, because what you are <laughs> telling no, here yeah. is salespeople are super sharp. Okay, they really know how to read the customer. And a good they, one. A good one. Exactly. Good exactly. One. They are there to help you. If you let them help you, if you don't let them help you, then only God can help you. <laughs> so, 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 so great point there. I, I really like that, to be honest. But on that note, I think, you know, as you correctly pointed out, that if you actually bring the pro and if the pro is really fair with their assessment, if they really know what they are doing. They can really help you save money by analyzing the total contract and looking at all of different variables that are going to be relevant in analyzing the true cost. Yeah. And, and to add to that, Sam, a good salesperson will listen to, you know, the, the, the client and then make sure that their proposal addresses their needs and brings out, hey, you know, you haven't thought about this. Support is really important. Yeah. Um, and a good salesperson is going to know their business and how they go to market, how they write proposals and their competition. So they'll be able to like bring out, hey, you need to worry about this, this and this. Um, it might not be in my proposal, but you need to worry about this and put that on top of your mind. Yeah, and that's why listening to salespeople is, is very important, especially the good ones. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, listen to <laughs> what they say and more importantly, what they don't say. Exactly, exactly. So a uh, couple of more points that I really want to touch about the uh, this whole idea of the placeholder in case of the named user. And the best way to think about the named user is going to be uh, think of them as the seat as opposed to thinking of them as the names for the license. And when you are actually going to buy, going to be buying the additional license, you are still signing the contract for three years. Just because the person leaves, that does not mean that all of a sudden you had 100 employees and now I'm going to pay for 99. It doesn't work that way. You have contract for 100 users for, let's say, three years, five years, whatever. Uh, if just the person leaves, that does not mean that you are going to be paying for 99, so pay attention to that. Pay attention to how many seats you have and how many users you have in the organization and structure your strategy and keep account. Some companies are really fair in providing you the insight. Uh, you know, they provide that insight right in the admin console that you have one unused seat, so please use that, okay? Some companies do that, some companies don't. Uh, so pay attention to that. Uh, the other point I think that was similar to what Andy had already mentioned in terms of uh, that phantom user. Uh, other, um, some companies are super fair. They want to log out the, the, the person who might not be using the system. So they might have this logic in the back end and they might kick that person out. The comment about the concurrent plus one, I'm not sure if I follow that to be honest because there are always going to be more users that are going to be needed when you are buying the concurrent license. So I don't know if plus one is going to be enough. There might right. be situations where you might need plus three or plus five. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, plus, I, that's probably me. plus 10 or 20 percent, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, I'm generalizing. You always needed that one extra license. So like anything in life, oh, it's great that I have so many. But when the day that I need that one more, uh, I wish I had that one more. So that's the generalization. I need plus one. 
I think I think the plus one was just an analogy. Really, what you're saying is it you need a buffer. Oh, definitely, right? definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think I agree with you all. Okay, so I am actually going to move to the consumption-based pricing because we don't have a lot of time, and we want to make sure that we are really touching the consumption-based pricing. And consumption-based pricing could be the hardest to understand. It can benefit you significantly if you understand how to really utilize the consumption-based pricing, but it can also fire back if you don't know how to understand that. So I am actually going to do the quick round and ask you guys what your understanding is of the consumption-based pricing. And also, I want you guys to touch on things such as, let's say, if you have the integration layer. Now, integration layer could be the transaction-based. Your ERP could be user-based. Your add-on could be module-based. So there is this whole mix of the licensing. And when you have the mix, it's very important to understand how the integration and the data flow is going to work across the systems. If you don't have grasp of that, again, that can fire back. So I am going to start again with Chris. Chris, what are your thoughts overall with respect to consumption-based pricing? Do you want to share what consumption-based price really is? Sure. And I think that it's not all or nothing. There could be a hybrid version of that where you know, because we're consuming user licenses on a periodic basis. And I guess a couple clarifying points, the most of the SaaS cloud stuff is named user licensing. And I think the, to your point, to have an identity where you're tracking that person. And when you get anonymous, it's the device license, I think is what we were talking about where people use a kiosk. But but that, and, and, and I think an important advice to the team is that can shrink, can grow. When I was talking about the enterprise agreements, those are more static. I bought a hundred users. I got to pay for a hundred for three years. We have customers that start with 20 and they go up and they go down. And the other point of that is understanding the license types because it's back to consumption. We have license types where it's full users. We have limited, we have team members, and then we have device. And then we go to the consumption where maybe I want to extend my ERP out to 500 customers. Instead of giving each customer a license, now you might go consumption-based where I'm paying based on the actual transaction volume. Over here, I have static user licenses, named user licenses for, for my full users, my team members. And then maybe I have this integration feed, which is consumption-based. And again, in our world, we get the updated counts every month and generate an invoice. So, so the model we live in, it is, it is a consumption-based even for the full licenses because people, they grow, they shrink. We've had people dial them up and dial them down. So I think that's a big big thing for looking in, in contracts is make sure you've got that flexibility. A lot of the on-prem licenses, it was static. You bought it, you owned it. If you didn't use it, you still paid for it. But, um, but consumption on transaction side, understand the license types. And I think understanding those costs is very important. And to forecast, right? Because everybody's going to, where do you think you're going to end up? So even to forecast so that you have some budgets to measure against based on what your actual consumption is. Azure is a great example of a slippery slope. There's no credit limits, which means you've really got to watch your consumption on that because you can turn it up and not feel it until you get the bill about a month later. It's like running the air conditioning at 62 <laughs> degrees or something, for example. So anyway. Okay, so some interesting points there. So the we are going to retouch on the consumption-based pricing because the consumption-based pricing that you mentioned, that's not typically referred as the consumption-based pricing in the industry. But you brought up a very interesting point, and that may be very unique to Microsoft that I have not seen in any other ecosystem. So are you saying that in Microsoft ecosystem, you can go up and down? Absolutely. In, your users? in fact, our, we, we give our customers a portal where they can add their users and to that point, right? The administration and when they term, they reassign. Typically, they may deactivate that license and create a new one. So that identity exists in all the record sets, but it's deactivated. It's reassigned. But our customers in the Microsoft cloud is self-service portal. They can add office licenses, different types. And at the end of the month, what they have on file generates the invoice. But even on the F&O, on the ERP products, there may be a minimum on the business central, minimum one. They can go up, they go down. On the bigger product, it's a minimum 20. But again, they can go up, they can go down. And as long as they're doing their administration, their bill can go up. I've had a customer that reduced a bill by as much as 5000 in one month because they went and did their housekeeping. To your point, I think they were a little sloppy. And then they realized that and they brought it right back down. So in the Microsoft Dynamics and the modern workplace space, yes, you can shrink, you can grow. To be completely honest, I'm I'm blown away here because I have not nice. seen this licensing like in any other in any other vendor. So I mean, see, they you are going to sign three year contract, five years contract, ten year contract. But at the same time, I don't know whether you actually uh, Microsoft can increase the price at any point of time because you don't have any lockup until a renewal. So you can you can actually license a 36 month SKU, but you okay. don't have to keep it for 36 months. You could still drop it, and at the renewal you're exposed to a price increase. You can get a 12-month SKU. You can get a 30. When the 36 is out there, we lock in a 36 because they've got more price protection for a period of time. But that's the only point there's exposure is based on that renewal. And it's normally on a 12-month cycle. But if it's a 36-month SKU, 
And again, we decide when we transact that which SKU we want to place them on. Even people coming over from legacy products, they get a discounted SKU for 36 months. At the end of the 36 months on the renewal, they may get a price increase. That's how okay, it works. So that's again very interesting. So when you look at the contract, are they simply locking the price and they are not actually locking the actual number of users? That's correct. That's correct. In fact, I have a, a client, we started them with 20 and they implemented and right before go live, they dialed it up to 398 users. Okay, so I they have, have a worksheet. We didn't talk about that. The worksheet to plan users, license types, I think is a very big exercise so that you're not sloppily deciding what users need what licenses to do their jobs. So I have not seen this with any other vendor, even with the actual consumption-based pricing, to be honest. The consumption-based pricing that you are looking at, you are actually signing a contract for a specific tier, and you have to sign up that you are going to be using as much transaction volume with vendors. So so thank you so much for that. And that's, that's well, the CSP model, guys. So that's the cloud service provider model. And again, in an enterprise agreement, Microsoft would prepare to sell you a block of users. And in that context, you pay for that block for three years, whether you use it or not. And you don't get to shrink those down. So thank you. Okay, yeah. amazing. So I'm actually... Sam, that's also, it's important to note that you're talking about Microsoft. You're not talking about, you know, a couple of guys that have created their own software that is looking at develop, you know, deploying a consumption-based model. So Microsoft is a much bigger entity. So they want to reduce the friction and they want to make it as easy to do business with them versus these other vendors that are, you know, they're a little more beholden to the revenue that's coming in. So I think that's that's important to to know. So I'm actually comparing all the larger ones, okay? So if you compare, you know, all the big ones, they don't really allow you to go down as what I am hearing from Chris with respect to Microsoft, which is a huge value in my my opinion, okay? With other vendors, you go to any of the larger ones, the name brand that you have, you are signing for the three-year, five-year contract, and the number of users are going to be printed on your contract. You are not allowed to go down. You can replace with somebody else, but from their perspective, the revenue is going to be consistent. In this particular case, Microsoft's revenue is not consistent. So I don't know. I mean, they are they are just friendlier, in my opinion. That That's amazing. That's phenomenal. Tom, I'm actually going to move to you. What's your understanding of consumption-based pricing? Which are the industries that can really benefit from the consumption-based pricing? So the types of consumption-based pricing that I've dealt with, Sam, are, are several, I guess. One is uh, the example I might bring to mind, comes to mind for me is uh, Zuara, which is a billing invoicing tool. And uh, we ended up not using them at Varian, but we did negotiate with them for a while and considered them for some billing functionality, subscription billing. And, um, and they really wanted to charge us by order or, or invoice issued, right? So that's similar to transactions. I think uh, maybe Andy talked about transactions. And and I guess I think of it that way too, but there's a lot of ways to define a transaction, right? So it could be a sales order. How many sales orders do you take, right? That's the transaction that they key on. And they say, okay, we're going to bill you X for every one of those. And that was kind of the Zwara model. We, we have uh, done deals with DocuSign and with Adobe, right? And people know them as a workflow engine for electronic signature. Well, they usually fixate on uh, the number of envelopes or the number of times you, you send out a request basically in a, in a package or an envelope for someone to do an electronic approval or signature. Now, I, I have not done a deal with them, either of them, to do it by the drink. What we've typically negotiated is, okay, the, the metric will be envelopes, and then we're going to negotiate a maximum number of envelopes for a certain price. And then if we go beyond that, then we're paying by the drink perhaps. And so it's, it's I don't know if I'd call it a hybrid, but it's still, it's still consumption-based, but we've sort of said, we're gonna, we're gonna get a good price on a certain fixed amount of consumption, and then we'll, we'll pay by the drink beyond that. But it's still, it's still in my mind, a consumption model or a transaction-based model. How many envelopes do you generate? And, um, and what, what Chris was talking about is for me a little different. Again, it's kind of a consumption-based model, but the transactions are really hours consumed, right? It's really how many VMs are consuming how much time running in the cloud. And, um, and, and so when I think of AWS or Azure, I think of it as it's a pay by the hour. There's not exactly a transaction like a document, like a, an envelope or a sales order or something else. It's a little bit more just how much time are you running 
and consuming CPU uh, in in the in the public cloud. So, but I would I would say all of those are different types of consumption models as opposed to user based models. Yeah. So some very great points, and that's exactly what consumption based pricing typically is referred to as in the industry when you look at the the industry definition of the consumption based. Typically, when you are looking at the novice user who have not really bought a software in their lifetime they are going to be really attracted with the pitch called unlimited users, okay? And there are nuances of that pricing as well because consumption-based pricing, again, it's very difficult to understand. If you don't have understanding of your own volume, the transaction, the infrastructure, exactly. how exactly. your you need to do, You need to understand your business. Yeah. It's much more complex in that sense than a user count, right? And, and interestingly, it's also sometimes much more controllable, right? So... Again, the devil's always in the detail, but if I create, for example, with DocuSign or Adobe Sign, if I create an envelope, I could create an envelope with 10 sequential or concurrent signatures related to this one document and it's one envelope. Or I could end up, if I'm not very clever and I have not really thought it through, creating 10 different envelopes, one for each person that I want to sign off on this document. And now I'm paying for 10 envelopes as opposed to paying for one envelope. So again, there are nuances even in the consumption-based model that if you're if you understand your your throughput or your your business requirement, you may be able to uh, figure out how to minimize the cost. But then again, you also have to manage the behavior of your users. So these are these are tricky things too. Yeah, so right, and we need to move move slightly quicker just because we are running out of time, and we want to make sure that everybody is able to provide the inputs on the consumption-based pricing. But I am actually going to share quick tip uh, overall uh, from the consumption-based pricing perspective. So you are so right that you need to monitor your user's behavior. But moreover, let's say if you are a very transactional business, for example, let's say if you are a retail business and you have five dollar transaction, if you are going to sign a pricing model that is going to be transaction-based, you are probably going to be screwed. Even if you are, even if you have the the unlimited users, but let's say if you're a construction business where you you have a lot of stuff, temporary stuff where your volume goes up and down, and you don't have as much transaction, okay, consumption based pricing could be could be a blessing to you. Um, so these are some of the quick tips and tricks that you can utilize in comparing different pricing models. DJ, I want to move to you uh, quickly. Do you want to share what your thoughts are overall with respect to consumption based pricing? You know, well, consumption based pricing is, and uh, I would say like an uh, a wild goose hunt uh, after a year. Uh, I've seen uh, my customers call us and uh, say that, uh, hey, we incurred all this true of cost. How do we go about uh, uh, negotiating a uh, good contract? What you really need to look into it to take Tom's example, if it's like DocuSign or even Adobe Sign, is uh, the envelope also has a different kind, has a, has a different band to it. It's an enterprise premium or a freebie. They limit the number of people you can add across each band itself. You can add the 10 sequences on a premium envelope. You got to be on an enterprise envelope itself. So all these ERP providers have figured that out. They will have users, the features that goes across which package you are in, rights to use in what geos, right? So the transferability is not there. So there's lots of hidden stuff that's out there. What we typically ask our customers is, Okay, how much revenue you can commit to from a user point of view, well, even with the variable growth, right? How how much you can like commit to? So in uh, in Chris's case, if he says like we want to begin with twenty, but you're going to be like you know what, not three hundred and ninety eight, but like at least two hundred, right? We say that we can commit two hundred licenses. What is the committed license per user per month looks like versus the variable? And then with the variability, we put a cap on that as well. What we say is, uh, hey, you know, we need to do a hybrid even on the consumption where we can commit to certain uh, revenue on the consumption, but we want some handoff, which is the reserve guy. From a sales standpoint, when we work with sales, we we are best friends with sales because we remove the unpredictability out there. They also want to know what is this revenue for their quota and fulfillment. They've built a business around it. So it's not just that licensing. It's also how they are getting incentivized. When you make that commitment with the revenue, other things can come into play, like business investment funds from Microsoft to help enable them to be successful, which can offset 
the, the, the actual dollars that lead the company towards that consumption model itself. So there are other things that we will get to, to it to help our clients out as well. So at some in between, you cannot go like a truly like, a, hey, buy the, pay by the drink. If uh, there are too many people buying the drink, we pay more, right? We'll always say like, let's at least like buy certain things with, uh, with which you will consume for sure and leave and variability and the variability pricing is always uh, higher than the committed uh, uh, consumption. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights. And I'm actually going to move really quickly now. Andy, just in one sentence, do you have any thoughts related to consumption-based pricing? <laughs> in one Sorry. sentence? Well, like I mentioned earlier, first off, consumption-based means some type of volume or transaction, or maybe it's order-based, maybe line, line item-based within the orders. Everyone's going to have their own. But I'll tell you, there's one more element that people are never aware of that ERP vendors will pay their salespeople different commissions on which deployment they offer or which of all these different types. So guess which one they're going to be more likely to recommend. It might be the right product for you, but it might be the best product for them. So you have to be totally aware of all the pros and cons before you make a decision. Yeah, you are so right. And you need to read between the lines. Yes. uh they are not going to tell you how they are calmed, but you need to no. read between the lines to understand that for sure. Uh, okay, Tim, uh, just one sentence. You know, any any thoughts around consumption-based pricing? Quickly. So you have to model the expected pricing, best case, and then worst case. And if you have that, then at least there won't be any. You know, shouldn't be any surprises at the end of the year. And there's nothing wrong with asking a salesperson how they're comped. Do that. <laughs> That's a trick. Find out how they get incentivized. Why not? Yeah, in most cases, you are probably not going to get the the clear answer. Or then you don't want to work with that sales guy. Then you don't (laughs) want to work with them because they're they're not motivated to help you. Love it. Okay, so we are going to do quick round of the closing advice. We need to keep within three to five words, if possible, not more than a sentence. So, Chris, closing advice from your side. Know the license types and do your due diligence and don't overbuy. Love it, Tom. Your closing advice. Big picture. Think total package. Big picture. Love it. Uh, VJ, your closing advice, two to three words. Select the solution that fits uh, and the model and leave it to the experts uh, to get you, uh, your, to meet your definition of success. Love it. Uh, Andy, uh, your closing advice. The only way to know whether or not you're being given legitimate advice is to speak to companies that are already dealt with them. So references. Yes, completely agree, Andy. Thank you so much. Tim, closing advice. Use data to drive your decision making. Love it. Thank you so much, Tim. And guys, thank you so much for joining today and see you all next week. Adios. Bye, everybody. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn about Tim Harrison, head over to warmcommerce.com. It's W-A-R-M-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, head over to varian.com. It's V-A-R-I-A-N.com. If you want to learn more about Andy Pradical, head over to essoft.com. It's E-S-S-O-F-T.com. If you want to learn more about VJ, head over to infor500.com. It's infor500.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Brian Somer, who discusses why legacy ERP systems and artificial accounting practices need to change with time. Also, the interview with Ted Needleman, who discusses the role of ERP consultants, why they are pivotal for an ERP implementation, and why they play a huge role in user experience and training. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.